0: Welcome to Kyla, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Man, we've been uh, covering a lot of ground, and I'm really thankful that, that how uh, my sermons and, and Dan's sermons have been lining up, and Uh, I'm praying that we feel challenged uh, that we uh, are all of us are being stretched Uh, all of us are recognizing that there's a calling upon our life and that that calling is going to require us to separate ourselves and holiness from from the world we can no longer accept what the world is feeding us, we've got to step away from that and we've got to choose consecration to the Lord Um, that's the loudest cricket I've ever heard in my entire life. It's incredible. It can't be real. That's someone's phone. It's gotta be. I heard the loudest snoring I've ever heard in my entire life this weekend. And then and now I'm hearing the loudest cricket. It's f- amazing. It's a phenomenal weekend. Phenomenal. Lots of firsts. <laughs> um so so I've been talking about calling specifically, and why why is that such an important thing? Why is calling so important? Well, this is a ministry of young adults, and if you don't learn how to grapple with calling on your life now, well, um, you know, uh, how are we going to get all the things done that Dan talked about last night, for crying out loud, right? Well, how are we going to get all that stuff done? Well, we have to be able to grapple with this issue of calling, and so yesterday we used Exodus chapter 3 as an on-ramp into a conversation about calling, Specifically a calling, the part of calling that says, God is not going to draw me into something different if I'm not yet faithful to the thing that he's given me now. Right? If I, don't yet, if I, if I can't yet devote myself in contentment and joy to the work that's before me, the thing that God's given me, the thing that my pastor's handed me, the, the, the work of discipleship that I have before me, the evangelism in my workplace or on my campus, if I'm not devoted to those things now and I'm not doing it with joy and in faithfulness, how could he possibly be giving me anything else? And so we talked about things like having awe for God and having respect for his word and, and what it means to serve with contentedness in our ministries. And we talked about those things because that's necessary. And Learning to say yes to those things is necessary in preparation for what's to come. It's bo- both about the now and it's about the then. All right. Now, with that in mind and acknowledgement that God is calling us and as we serve and as we, as we you know, are striving in our faith to follow and pursue the Lord, there is going to be times of eminent change, okay? When the change comes, it's coming, it's coming, okay? When the change comes, are we going to be ready for it, okay? And so we have to... We have to um, this is incredible. It, so, is there not some sort of like bug expert in the room that can like go and like chase this cricket down and scare it? It's inside the wall? We saw the, we saw the exterminator leaving here as we were pulling in and we knew that was a bad sign. The termite guy was like cruising out and he was like, good luck. Okay, so you're just going to have to turn me up, drown that thing out. Um guys, change is coming. Change is coming. And and so, you know, that might look like a lot of different things. It could be like, hey, I've, I've got my first disciple ever. Or maybe it's, hey, I'm signing up for discipleship. I'm gonna go to the Costa Discipleship class, and I'm getting ready to sign up for discipleship, and that's some serious change. Like I've got to count the cost on that. That's some serious change. Or, or now I'm, I'm, there's someone I'm investing in, and this is, this is new for me. I was the one being invested in, and now I'm investing in someone else. And that's change, and it's stretching, and it's, it's causing me to consider my faith in a new way. And then there's some of you who are being asked to do Bible studies and lead Bible study and, or go out and, 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 and do evangelism with your Bible study team, and that's stretching, and that's new, and that's difficult. There's some of you who are taking new jobs, like just in your career, there's changes that are taking place, transitions that are taking place that, that are stretching, that are forcing you to, to be put yourself in a position of faith that you've never had to think about or consider before. Man, and there's even some of you. There's some of you that are being called to the mission field. And I'm having these conversations like all the time. People are saying, I think I'm called. And these conversations can be complicated and difficult. Are you ready yet? Are you prepared? Um, have you been training? Uh, this is what this should look like. Here's the things I want to see in you before you go. Let's pray about where you're going. Let's pray about when you're going. Let's pray about how you're going. Let's work through that stuff. Hey guys, and you got to know that these are all of these things I describe, they all are relatively complicated, right? Based on where you're at. I mean, signing up for discipleship can be like so intense. And so new that it feels like choosing to go on the mission field, right? So just depending on where you're at, you know, and, and relative to who you are and where you're at in your walk, all of these things can feel very monumental. And so the question for today is, what do you, what do, you do when change is imminent? Like, change is on your doorstep. You've been preparing, and you've been, you, you recognize that there is a calling, but you're just serving in the calling you've got, and you love the Lord, and you're doing it contentedly, and then all of a sudden, boom, something changes. God speaks to you. Something happens. An alteration takes place in your life. What does it mean to have faith when God calls us? What do we do when we discover changes on the horizon, when God does reveal a change or a transition or an alteration in your life or in your ministry? How should we respond? Well, what we're gonna learn today is that Moses had five excuses when confronted with the call of God. Five fears that he dealt with, that he grappled with. And we are going to grapple with those things today. Can we do that? We're going to look at these things and we're going to consider whether or not we are also prone to fear in these ways. We're going to wrestle through it and we're going to come out on the side of faith, okay? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we're so thankful, thankful to be here today. We're so thankful for this retreat. Uh, It's been such a joy. Uh, The baptisms, uh, wow, what an amazing thing. What a beautiful thing. Uh, Lord, thank you for all the people who've been making decisions. I've been watching it happen. I can't wait to hear all the testimonies of what you've done. But just visually, from, from what I've experienced, Lord, you are clearly at work in this group of young people. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever stage or place in their walk that they are as individuals that when they're confronted with with stretching and difficulty and, and Lord, when you change or steer their path in a direction that was unanticipated, that they would be able to respond with faith, believing that while they can't, you can. That while it seems impossible, that, Lord, through you, Anything is possible. And that we all have to make a habit of saying yes to you in obedience. And when we do, the greatest adventure that we could ever experience will lay before us. So Lord, we say, whatever lies before us, yes. Help, in Jesus' name, amen. So what we were uh, left with last time was this, was this key point that whatever God has ahead of you, it's gonna be too great for you. It's gonna be too much. And when we last left Moses and the angel of the Lord, we observed that God was working to establish a fear in him, a faith in him, and a heartfelt agreement with Moses. Uh, Exodus chapter three, verse nine says, "'Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel "'is come unto me, hear my heart, see what I see.'" And I have also seen the oppression, wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God is looking to enlist Moses in a work that was very personal to him, personal to his heart, and the expectation is that Moses also is going to zealously comply with whatever God asks him to do. That's the expectation. That's where God is at. Okay? In God's mind, he's saying, okay, I'm going to tell Moses what I need him to do, and the response that he ought to have is, yes, sir, let's go. But that's not exactly how it unfolds. Moses doesn't do that exactly. Okay, And this, this is a lot like us. This is a lot like us. We get settled into our ways and we get we get build a momentum and a rhythm in ministry and life and it starts feeling right and we're in a season of blessing and it's exciting and we get settled into our ways and then we have a hard time imagining that God would ever shift us in our ministry responsibilities why would God ever do that this has been so good and we we have a hard time imagining that God would change our ministry identity that we would go from this to that and we have a hard time believing That God would give us more ministry work than we already have. God, I feel so busy right now. It just seems like so much. And we have a hard time believing that God wants to stretch our capacity and entrust us with more work. We have a hard time believing that God wants to give us greater responsibility for souls. That maybe right now you're discipling someone and you have care for one soul, but what if God wanted to give you care for 10 souls? What if God wanted to make you a Bible study leader? Or make you responsible for some sort of ministry in your church, we have a hard time believing that God would ever want to shift us and move us because we're so comfortable in the identity that we hold to. We have a hard time believing that God would ever call us to the mission field. We have a hard time believing or imagining that God would ever use us in the work of church planting. We have a hard time believing. Why? Because we're complacent. We're happy where we're at. We're content. Okay? Okay. And there's everything good about that. There's everything good about being content. But we cannot let ourselves become so comfortable in our contentedness that we are unable to say yes to the Lord when he shifts us and moves us and changes what we're doing. What we're going to find uh, today is that Moses has five concerns with God's requests. Concerns that reveal his lack of faith as we look at these five concerns, I want you to consider whether or not you share any of these same fears as it concerns God's present calling on your life or the potential calling on your life ahead of you. You ready? We're gonna get right into it. Okay, in 1400, joke, that's a joke. <laughs> uh, in 1400, oh. Was that judgment? Yeah. That was the Lord. Do not mock your elders. I just want you to know that Dan is my elder. Um, okay, so we're going to get right into it. You ready? Got a pen? We're going to write down these uh, as we go, and, uh, and I, want you to, I want you to take personal notes alongside the notes that I give you, Okay. And I want you to really grapple with these questions as we hit hit each one. So the first one is this. We have a fear of incompetence. We have a fear of incompetence. So here's Moses' response, the first response to the Lord after saying, hey, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to confront the king. I want you to tell him, hey, let my people go. And he's like, what the heck? I've been been walking around this desert for 40 years with these sheep, and you want me to do what? What? Like, I've just settled in. This is just feeling right, just now. Making some good money. Look, look at this. All kinds of stuff happening here. Um, I'm making some good money, right? Things are good. You're gonna ask me to do what? Okay, listen, listen, look at how this unfolds. Verse 11, and Moses said unto God, who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. The first thing he says is, who am I? And who am I is a question that I think many of us think of when, when we're being asked to do something new or God is challenging us to grow. Well, who am I? And on one hand, that's actually a very valid question. It's a very valid question. Why? Because you actually suck pretty bad. All right, let's, let's, like, let's not... Let's be honest with ourselves. All right, it's a valid question. Who am I to do this mighty work? Who am I that you would call me? Who am I that you would ask me to do? I can't even tie my shoes. So I buy Velcro shoes at Walmart. That was, a, that was Clementine for a real long time. She didn't want to learn to tie her shoes. She's like, I don't even want to. They make Velcro shoes for a reason. I don't, need to, I don't need to tie my shoes. Get me the Velcro. They got the lights in them and everything. <laughs> but this is this is. we're just like Clementine. It's like, why? Why? When they've got Velcro, God, when it's, when I, dude, when I've got it like this and everything's finally cool, why, why would I move on to the next thing? Who am I? And it's a valid question because we're weak. We're weak and we're not strong. And we can't stand before kings. We can't, we can't face that kind of enemy. Who am I? 1 Peter one twenty four says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. That's who we are. We are very, very weak. Life is fleeting. Life is flickering. One moment we're here. The next moment we're not. We are forgotten. The tombs and the graves of many men have long overgrown with weeds, and and people are forgotten. Who am I? This is a very Job-like question or consideration. Now, I think I would refer to what Moses is feeling here is, is more as self-doubt, which is common. After all, God is pretty wonderful, and we're pretty garbage, okay? And after all, God is asking Moses to leave his job of 40 years. You know, he was just about to collect his pension, I think, after 40 years. Retirement was on the horizon. I mean, I would think. 40 years, geez, any job but he's doing it, and, he's, and things are good. And he's being asked after all this time to go back to Egypt, where after all, he's hated and he's wanted for murder so that he can go con- uh, confront the pharaoh king of what was likely the most powerful country and government in the world at the time. So that this shepherd could go and free millions of slaves from bondage. It's a pretty heavy ask. <laughs> See, Moses is looking at himself and he's saying the same thing that we say all the time. I am not competent for what you're asking me. I am not prepared for this. I wasn't, for, I wasn't prepared 40 years ago. <laughs> I screwed things up then, and I'm not, I'm not competent now. I'm not competent enough to lead a Bible study. And you all know, this is what happens. When I, when I ask, I have these conversations with people all the time, and we sit down and we say, it's time. Sister, it's time. We, we need you to lead. We need you to lead. Can you do it? And then there's a fear. It's, it's scary. It's, it seems scary. The, the idea, the concept, seems scary. Or like, hey, brother, it's time to sign up for LFBI. It's time to get trained. And people have all these th- reasons, like you know, like I'm not, uh, I'm not sure if I can do it. I'm not sure if I can go back to the classroom. I'm not sure if I can do studies or write essays. Or I'm not sure if I'm competent enough to do the thing that you're asking me to do. I'm not sure if I'm capable of it. Hey, um, we're gonna go out evangelizing and as a Bible study, we're gonna go on campus and we're gonna share our faith, we're gonna share the gospel with people that we've never met before. And we get scared, we, we feel incompetent, we don't feel prepared, we don't feel ready to do the things that God's asking us to do and we confront these moments all the time. But the problem is we're so busy thinking about what we can't do in our flesh that we can't see what God is capable of doing through his spirit, We're so busy obsessing about the things that we can't do or we don't know how to do. We have a hard time considering what God wants to do in the power of his spirit in us. God's words in verse 12 were this in response. Certainly I will will be with thee. The response to the question, who am I? Who am I? God doesn't bother saying, hey, look, bro, you don't even know that the last 40 years I've been training you for this. Look, I've been preparing you. I've made you capable. I've made you able to do it. I've trained you. I've made you prepared. Don't you know that's what I've been doing? He doesn't say that, though that has been what's happening. God's been discipling Moses, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, yeah, you are, buddy. You're ready. I know you are. I've seen you doing good work, you know? He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say, I'm so proud of you, man. I know that you can do it. Buck up. Let's go. Now, what's he say? In response to who am I, he says, certainly I will be with thee. So what does that mean? God takes the emphasis off you and what you're incapable of doing and he puts the emphasis on his presence. And what he's saying is, I, look, I know you're incompetent. That's not the point. I love you. You're my child. I'm walking with you, and I will make you able. So the issue is God's presence, okay? Change is coming into your life. God's stretching you. Change is imminent. Okay, I'm incompetent, though. I can't do it. I, you know, I'm not able to. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. And then and God says to you, hey, it's cool. I'm going to go with you. I'm with you. I'm with you in the work. I'm with you in it. Key point, whatever God calls you to do is only possible with him. That's the whole point. The whole point is faith. Whatever God is calling you to do, it's only possible with him. And so, we, you know, our last key point that we had yesterday was whatever God has ahead of you will be too great for you. Okay, that's fine. That doesn't matter because whatever God calls me to do is only possible with him anyway. Moses needed to have the response that Mary had. Remember when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, look, sis, you're gonna get pregnant and it's gonna be God's baby. (laughs) Okay? Pretty wild. Pretty wild. When told that she would, ha- she would, as a virgin, be the mother of the Son of God, she had some doubts in her, certainly. But listen to her response. Listen to how this goes. Luke one thirty four. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Like, I've not ever even done it before. How can I have a baby? And the angel answered and said, said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also, that holy, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month uh, with her who was called barren. It's like, hey, God does miracles, by the way. Verse 37, for with God... Nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Listen, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. See, that's the response. That's the response we're aiming for. It starts with an impossible thing, and it ends with her saying, be it unto me according to thy word. You say it, and it is. God, if you're calling me to do it, it will be. And if you stand with me, I can do anything. I can do anything. Look, I know you're weak. I'm weak too. I'm weak. We aren't fit for the jobs that God gives us. The point isn't that you're competent enough. It's that God is capable of doing the impossible through you. And so you might have no influence. You might have no leverage with people in authority. You may not even know how to believe. You may not even know how to believe. And listen, then do as the father of the possessed boy did. Mark chapter 9, verse 17. You don't know how to believe God for this? Check this out. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee uh, my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought, the boy, uh, they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he answered his father, How long is it ago since, since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times, and oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out, said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he he rebuked the foul spirit saying unto unto him, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was sore one de- he was, uh, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And this guy comes to Jesus and says, "I'm at the end of my rope. My son has been in this state for so long, and it seems impossible. But if anyone can do it, if there's any hope out there at all... Jesus, you're the one. You're the one. Hey, if you believe it's possible, if you just simply believe it's possible, Lord, I believe. But my belief isn't perfect, it wavers can feel it. It wavers. I'm I'm unsure. I mean, I believe. But where I lack in my belief, help thou my unbelief. And I think about this in terms of the mission. And I think about this in terms of souls. And what lays before us in terms of God's work through us in this world. And I think, look, if, if we're lucky, if we're lucky, God will give us 20, 30, 40 years before He returns. If we're lucky, it just seems so big. It seems impossible. It seems impossible. When you say to yourself, I could never be a missionary, I could never be a part of church planting, I could never leave, lead a Bible study, I'm not competent. I don't know the things. I'm not strong enough to do it. I'm not ready for the next phase of ministry. I'm not. I see it and it seems too great for me. Believe. And where you don't believe, ask for the faith necessary to believe. We've got to think this way. It's time for us to stop being the anxious and afraid generation you know that's who you are, right? You're, you're, you are literally, I mean, the, you're, from what I can tell, this is the most anxious generation in all of human history, probably except those dudes that were your age living during the bubonic plague. Those guys had to have been pretty anxious. Like, I don't, I don't want to take anything away from the bubonic plague generation, okay? Okay? I mean, they had some stuff to go through. There's been moments in history where people were probably pretty anxious. But y'all are pretty anxious, and it seems like for no reason. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it seems like the reason that you're afraid is not because you, you, there's a potential for you to die from some skin-eating disease any minute. I mean, guys, we, we lived in a closet for two years because of... A, Cold, a really bad cold. <laughs> and now everybody's like, like it never happened. <laughs> We're the most anxious generation, and it's incredible. But listen, we've got to decide as a people group, right here. We've got to decide, not my will, but thine being done. With God, all things are possible. We have to decide that, or we're going to be stuck. We're going to be stuck, and we're going to have a poor judgment seat. So the first thing is a fear of incompetence. The next thing is a fear of misrepresentation, a fear of misrepresentation. Verse 13, and Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? That's a pretty interesting thing to mention here. Okay, so what's happening? We find Moses in a position where he's concerned about his ability to represent God rightly, right? He's saying, what am I supposed to tell them when I get there? I mean, I don't even know what name to call you by. I don't even even know what to call you when I get there. What am I supposed to say to these people? Moses knows that if he chooses to confront the most powerful man in the world, that he literally has no credibility in himself, even to warrant his audience. He was convinced that he'd be exposed instantly as a fraud. What authority could this shepherd of 40 years, what authority could he possibly stand on? Who was he to represent the interests of the living God? Who was he to go and to convince the people? I mean, the guy that he was going to talk to in Pharaoh believed he was a God. (laughs) And he's going to go, Go up to this guy. Hey, yeah, um, you don't know me. Uh, You may have heard of me. I don't know. Uh, But I'm here to talk to you about something very serious. Um, Yes, I'm a shepherd. I've been shepherding for about 40 years now. Uh, Here's my resume. There's not much on it. Um, So uh, I've got something to, to tell you, and it's really, really important. And Moses is concerned that when he gets there, that he will have no credibility, and it'll put him in a position where he might misrepresent God. And not even that, what about the Jews? Who was he to convince them of anything? After all, he'd abandoned them, and his reputation was only one of cowardice and arrogance. He's going to go talk to his people. Hey, guys, uh, you know, uh, I'm a Jew. I'm like you, right? And uh, I'm here to set you free. And they're like, dude, you're that punk, like what, like, what credibility does he have? What does he have to stand on? And so Moses hypothesized to God. He said, when they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? Moses was looking for a way to establish legitimacy through something outside of himself. He was afraid that he had no authority to do what he was being asked to do. Who else feels that way? Who else feels like a fraud? Like, like you have no credibility, Then why would anyone listen to you? The why, why would God ever use you in this way? I run into this a lot when I'm training leaders, and uh, when young people take new responsibilities, they often feel really unworthy of that. And uh, they, they often, this is how they even often talk about it. They're this overt about it. Like, well, maybe you've made a mistake. And this is usually like a lot of Bible study leaders or disciples, like at the six-month mark, they're like, this is not going what, the way I thought it would. Maybe you made a mistake. Maybe we, can, maybe we can go back. Maybe somebody else is supposed to do this. And so I have these conversations with leaders that, that feel like, like their peers are, are more capable or better suited for the work than they are. And I wonder if you've ever experienced this or ever heard, maybe even heard of this. Have you ever heard of imposter syndrome? This is a legit psychological diagnosis, imposter syndrome. And it's, it's, it's when a person has a persistent and internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Like, like you have this persistent fear in Bible study that if someone asks you a tough question, you're not gonna have an answer, and the whole charade is going to come falling down. (laughs) You're going to get exposed as a fraud, and everything that God has built in you, you'll have screwed it up, and the mission will somehow be at stake, and that that everything hangs on a thread. And the moment people find out that you actually don't know anything, or that that you're weak in some regard, that everyone will know that you're the loser that you are and the entire mission of God, the Great Commission, 2,000 years of ministry, will come falling down and Christ will come back. The rapture will happen immediately because the stewardship will have failed because you. And whenever he gets to heaven, God will be like, yep, Harrison was the last straw. (laughs) But we think that way. We put the weight of the world on our shoulders. And many of us struggle with this, and it's begun, it's begun to affect God's calling on your life. See, this is the kind of thing that freezes you up. It makes it so you're not mobile. So you stop taking risks in ministry. You don't put yourself out there, put yourself on a limb. You protect yourself from anything that feels too vulnerable. Why? Because you're trying to, to protect your reputation and your credibility, and you're trying to front See, God doesn't need you to be tough. God doesn't need you to be strong. And so you feel incapable. You feel unaffirmed. You feel inessential to the work. But when God addresses Moses, he makes it clear of his authority and who he is. Okay, we're gonna read for a second here. Verse 14, pick it up here. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. So like what do I say what do I say to them when I when I get there and they're asking me who do I represent who how do I identify you You go in there and you tell them I am that I am I'm the self-existent one Well who created God Nobody created God He's the self-existent one He's omniscient He's omnipotent. All things consist by his thoughts. You don't you you tell them this, and it's gonna sound circular, but I am that I am, I am all things, I, I hold all things together with my very thoughts. That's what you tell them. I don't care what they think about you, I don't care who you think you represent. You go in there, and you tell them, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you, and this is my name forever." And this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you, and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice. Thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto him, the Lord God of the Hebrews hath uh, uh, hath met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, and I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass. Well, that seems like a lot. I just asked, who should I tell them who you are? <laughs> what do you want me to say? Man, that seems okay. It's <laughs> a lot. God, I'm supposed to remember all that, man. I mean God's thorough. He's like, here, this is what you tell them. Here's the key point. Whatever God calls you to do, He will endorse by the authority of His name. What credi- what credibility do you need outside of the endorsement of God? <sighs> you need further, you need further qualifications? You know, did you, ever, did you ever see Tommy Boy? Right? That guy, you know, uh, what's his name again, the fat guy? Chris Farley. Chris Farley. Okay? That guy has no business running that company. Right? But the only credibility he needed to run the company was that he shared the same last name as his father. Right? and then he goes on this kind of humorous escapade to save the company, and it's a great movie. And Yeah. What other, what other endorsement do you need than son of God, daughter of the living God? What other endorsement do you think you need? <laughs> what are you looking for? A letter of recommendation? Look, if God's called you to something, and it seems hard, If he's called you to do it and it's got his stamp of approval on it, you better trust him for it. Psalm 148, 13, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. Ephesians 121, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. His name is above every name that is named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Philippians 2 9. Wherefore God hath uh, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God tells Moses, look, you don't have to worry about feeling like a fraud. Invoke my name and I promise you that they'll listen to you. Invoke my name. When we, you know, when I went to India, um, we did some evangelism and um, I learned this from Doug Pearson. I was watching Doug do evangelism. I learned this from him and I realized, you know, because you always, when you go out and do evangelism, it doesn't matter where you're at, there's a little bit of fear and you want to know how to approach the people in a way that's culturally relevant. And so, um, Doug Pearson used to, to go out onto the beach or wherever he was at evangelizing and he'd say, hey, I'm, I'm Doug, I'm from America. God sent me here to tell you about Jesus. That's what he led with. <laughs> yeah, I came to India because God told me to. He told me I needed to come here and tell you about Jesus. That's why I'm here right now. What other authority does he need? What other reason does he need? What other reason might a person need to go and do the thing that God's asked them to do? God sent me here to do it. I don't know. He said to. We don't have to be important in ministry. We just need to know and understand who we represent. That's what we need to know. And this kind of faith empowers us to pray and to produce a, a pray and, and produce a confidence in, in God. And it leaves the work of establishing authority to him alone. Like, let him deal with the authority issue. You don't need to force authority. You don't need to make authority. You don't need to lord over people. You don't need to come with your agenda. Trust that to him. Number three, the fear of failure. The fear of failure. Exodus 4.1. Now, Moses has got more to say. Okay, okay, I'm hearing you. I am that I am, okay. And Moses answered and said, But, behold, they will not believe me. They will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. They won't believe me. So the next fear that Moses faces is a fear of failure, a fear that he would likely be dismissed by the people he was supposed to save. he says to God, look, there is no way these guys are gonna believe that the Lord appeared to me in a bush. There's no way that they're gonna believe that. They're gonna think I'm crazy and they're gonna dismiss me outright. And he was afraid of being rejected, just like we are. That's the exact same problem we have. We know that the ministry, listen, we know that ministry is about people. Don't we? That's what ministry is about. It's about people. And so we've got a mission to go to people. That's the business. But what happens when we're more concerned with people's thoughts than we are about God's command? Like, when we're dealing with people, oftentimes we get it twisted, and over time we stop thinking about the fact, I'm doing this for the Lord, I'm doing this unto God, we start thinking, I'm doing this for people. And as we start thinking, I'm doing this for people, we start getting concerned about rejection. But God never rejects us, and he's always accepting us. We're always accepted, but when we, when we make it about people, we get f- afraid of rejection, our fear, it, 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 it becomes a, a jeopardization on the, on the ministry. It, it jeopardizes God's work. God places us in a, in a particular class at school, okay? He puts you in a particular class at school with particular people. He gets you a job, a particular job with particular people in mind. His providential fingerprints are all over your daily circumstances as you go to the grocery store and you move about in life and you bump into people and he's all over that and he puts people in our lives all the time and in our path. Yet we fail to share the gospel. Why? Or well, we're afraid to fail. We are so worried about what people think of us that it prohibits us from answering God's call on our life. Romans 2.11 says, For there is no respect of persons with God. James 2.9 says, But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. God is not a respecter of persons, and neither should we be. Listen to God's response to Moses' lack of faith. And the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? (laughs) What? He's like, I'm telling you, dude, they're not going to listen to me. They don't even like me. What's in your hand? What? What's in your freaking hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. Uh, okay? And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. Moses fled from, it, from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Now this is the part that will really get me. But put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. Uh uh-uh, uh, I'm out. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said, "Furthermore unto him, put now thine hand into thy bosom." And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was like the black plague. <laughs> it was it was leprous as snow. And he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it, it was turned again as, as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe all these, these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, That thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it out on the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Whoa. Here's the point I know how I've equipped you. You're worried about rejection? Man, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? a rod. Okay, wait, wait, wait. What's that a picture of? See, listen, what do we have? What has God given us? What's at our disposal? We have his spirit, we have his church, and we have his... These three three things are at our disposal. They are our resources. Just like Moses had three different signs that were available to him, three different resources in order to prove his power. We have three resources to prove his power. We're down there doing baptism. And what's everybody say? I came into the church, and I saw something I'd never seen before, real love. Res- that's a resource. Well, I came in, I heard the praise, and I felt something I never felt before, and I was convicted and I was moved. What's that? The Spirit of God, Resource well, I've been around Christians a lot in my life, but I have all these questions that need to be answered and I'm not really sure what I believe and, and, and you've got this Bible in your hand and you pull it out and you open it up and you turn to pages and you show people the truth. What is that? It's a resource. And God wants to use the things in your life that he's given you to prove his power and to prove his authority. Look, I'm not here to tell you that God is going to give you the ability to turn walking sticks into snakes. But what I do want to say is that God will legitimize his work. He will legitimize it. So we don't have to be burdened with the responsibility of being persuasive people. That's a burden you ought not carry. Key point. Whatever God calls you to do, he will validate by his power, by his power through you, And in you, he will validate his name. You don't need to be concerned with that. He'll do it. Jeremiah 32, 21 says, And hast brought forth thy people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm and with great terror. This is Jeremiah writing in retrospect after long after Moses delivered the people out of Egypt, and he's being reminded here by God that God Himself delivered Egypt or Israel out of Egypt, He did that with a stretched out arm and with great terror. He does it by His power and His might, not ours. Acts 1 8 says. This is, this is the giving of the great commission. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And then what does it say? And I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. It's by his power. Ye shall receive power by the Holy Ghost and he will be with you. We've got to overcome our fear. We've got to overcome our fear. And we can't be worried about failure and about what people think. Next is the fear of inability. The fear of inability. Verse 10, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and a slow tongue. So how about this one? So Moses was afraid of public speaking. Well, welcome to the club. He didn't believe that he was able to say things the way in which they needed to be said. He had a slow draw. He talked like a hillbilly. Too too much time out there in the wilderness. And he wasn't an effective communicator. And he was probably a man that was generally silent, stoic, quiet, all that time of solitude by himself. Now, many of us have a fear of not being able or ready for the task at hand. Have you ever felt unable? Have you ever felt unable, like you just didn't have the skill set necessary to do what was being asked of you? I mean, I'm sure you felt that way at your job, right? Like, especially that first job, your first real career job. And it's all really new. Like after college, you get your big boy, big girl job. And you start, they start asking you to do things. They're like way beyond you. Like they didn't teach me this in school. Man, it's like that degree I just got was a waste. It probably was. It probably was. Right? That's why the government feels so bad. And they're giving you money. They're like, here's some loan forgiveness. Because we, whatever we gave you is just not cutting it. So you get to your first job. And you're like, I don't know how to do this. You felt that way, right? The same thing happens in ministry, right? You, you get put in a situation, and you're like, I don't know how to do this. I'm not able to do this. I can't speak up. I don't, I don't have, I'm not eloquent in my speech. I can't speak in front of people. There's no way I can do that. There's no way I can lead in this Bible study. That's not, not happening. I'm unable to do it. I don't have those skills. I don't have, I'm not like you. You can do that. Look at you. You get up there and you just do it like it's no big deal. You can do that. I can't do that. I'm not built that way. I'm, you know, just let me let me do this thing over here in the corner. I'm fit for that. That makes sense. Let me do that. Just let me keep doing that. But don't ask me to do anything that I I don't have the skills to do. It's like when people ask me to play tennis. I'm a 40-year-old man. I've never played tennis in my life. I'm not gonna start now. I'm not going to start out. You know why? Because I'm not in the business of looking like an idiot. I saved all that for middle school. If I didn't, if if someone didn't teach me how to do it in middle school, I ain't doing it. I'm not going to learn racquetball now. I'm not going to go do the things that you want. You know, I'm not learning that stuff because I know when I get out there, it's going to take months of looking like an idiot before I'm good at it. It took me long enough to get good at the stuff that I'm good at. And it's useless, it's useless stuff, but I'm good at it, so I'm going to stick with that. But we do this in ministry too. But man, how are we going to win the world like that? How are we going to win the world if we say to the Lord, well, that doesn't fit my skill set. I can't do that. You know, in one of my interviews I did with Alan Shelby on The Postscript, he tells this story about Um, how he was a shy and introverted young man. Big surprise, right? Like that guy. He's a quiet man. Talk about stoic and quiet. I mean, at Harvest, I I, I just imagine every Sunday, like when I'm praying for you guys, you guys worshiping and praising, and Alan, like way back in the corner, because I know this is what he does. Everybody's out there, he's like, This is who he is by his nature, okay? But as a young man, he said that he was shy. He was introverted. And uh, when he was in ministry, uh, as he was coming up in ministry, he saw a need for leaders to help during the invitation. And so, you know, the end of a service, there'd be an invitation. The pastor would give an invitation and call people to salvation or, or repentance or whatever, and people would come forward. But there was no leaders at the front waiting for them. So this dude took a big gulp. You can imagine him back there. They didn't have, man, what did he do before uh, cell phone like smartphones? He's back there like. Because <laughs> that's what old people used to do. They used to twiddle their fingers. That's an art, lost art form. So um, you can imagine him coming forward and receiving those people. And and overcoming his fear. And what he explained to me, what he explained to me and what I've, I've since learned, that God chooses to fit people for the task before them. He doesn't fit the task to your abilities. He fits you for the task. And the gifting and the skills that are necessary, he will give to the people who are willing to step out against their flesh's better judgment and stand in the gap for those that have need. Okay, what does God care about? God cares about souls. And because Alan Shelby knew as a young man that God cared about souls, he was going to do the thing that was necessary to do in order to care for souls and then God gifted him with it and now he's a pastor and he stands in front of an audience and he can command hundreds and hundreds of people with the word of God. God did that in him. What if God is calling you to do something that you're not gifted for? Who are you to say that he can't use you the way that you are? Who are you to say that? Who are you to presume that in the midst of, uh, of your faith that God can't gift you to do the thing that he wants you to do? He can do that. Jeremiah 1.6, and this is a passage that Dan was in a couple of years ago. Jeremiah 1.6, then said I, ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I am as a child. But the Lord said unto me, say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Here's your key point. Whatever God calls you to do, he will furnish you. He'll furnish you for that work by his grace. Whatever God calls you to do, you might not have the ability now, but he will outfit you and he will furnish you by his grace to do that work. Man, that's so reassuring. You know, I, th- I think about church planting and, uh, and you know, uh, we'll just use living faith lee summit as an example when that little team went out to lee summit there's many things that they didn't know and you know the funny thing about being a part of a church plant is you get asked to do things that you would have never imagined anybody would ask you to do right and so there's a lot of you that are especially in those in the early years of a church plant you're going to be asked to do things like you may have never touched audio visual equipment but you're back there doing audio visual equipment why because there's a need to do it and i'm just going to fill the gap God has a way of of providing you the grace necessary to do the things that you don't think that you can do. When Sam Miles came to me at age 23 years old and said, hey, I want you to lead the youth, I look, I had absolutely no interest in that. Like, I didn't want to hang out with high school students. I was a mature (laughs) 23-year-old. I believed I was called to do other things. Certainly, there's a better job for me, right, Sam? But because I was spiritual, I said, sure, I'll pray about that. (laughs) Okay, that was my mistake, because the Lord showed me, oh, hey, this is a need that you can fill, and for some reason, the elders in your life think that you'd be good at it, that you'd be right for it. Maybe it's because you're just so stupid and immature that you'd be great with high school students, right? Maybe maybe that's why. But this is what I want you to do, so go do it. And look, I've, look, I've never looked, I, my whole life changed in that moment. It's one of the most pivotal and monumental moments of my whole life. And, and I said yes to something that I wasn't furnished for. I wasn't equipped for that. Lord, the Lord said to Moses, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or or, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Thank you, God. Thank you for taking the, the unable and making them able. Five, the fear of incompatibility. This is the last one. Verse 13. Say, Moses, you know, you think Moses would be all out of excuses by now. And each fear that he's presented to to God, God has has had an answer for. And in a last ditch effort, he simply says, please, Lord, send someone else. I am not compatible with this job. He said, oh, Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Just send anybody else. Just pick anybody else besides me. It's gotta be better. And this can happen to us in our calling too. So often we see our inability in relation to the work and we just say, God, how could this possibly be the next step in my calling? How could it be that this, this is what you want me to do? How could it possibly be? How could you possibly, possibly ask me to be the youth leader? How could you possibly ask me to be a Bible study leader? How could you possibly ask me to minister in this way? How could you possibly be asking me to run the audiovisual team or to oversee the connections or hospitality ministry? How is it, how is it that you could use me in this way? I, I can't even see it. I, my, I don't have, my imagination's not big enough for it. Verse 14. Took all this time for God to get angry, but here we go. 14. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, ugh. <clears throat> Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. Look, I've arranged it. He's coming this way right now. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and and, put, uh, and thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be even. He shall be to thee instead of a mouth and thou shalt be to him instead of God and thou shalt take this rod in thine hand wherewith thou shalt do signs. So look, God sees Moses' fear. He sees Moses' fear and he provides him with help. He provides him with help. God is so kind to us. He's so kind. Because here's the deal. Whatever he's going to call you to, he's called you to. You can do it. Whatever he's called you to do, you can do it. But then you're like, God, I don't know if I can. I'm, just, I'm so afraid. I, I don't think I'm compatible for this work. <sighs> okay. Let's get you some training wheels. Let's get, you, let's get you a friend. Let's find you the people that can come around you and rally around you. Let me give you the support of your pastor. Let me, let me, give, you, let me give you another person in Bible study who's also mature that can help you in the work. Let me provide you with the needs that you think you need. The things you think you need. I'll even meet you there. But we've got work to do. We've got work to do. So no more excuses. I've given you everything that you think you need. Let's go and let's deliver my people. Let's go. Stop with the excuses. We're done with that. Look at the help that you have around you. Look at what God's given you. What else do you need to go and do exploits? God's so kind to us, but He's also determined to accomplish His will. Key point whatever God calls you to do, He will achieve in you by His determination. By His determination. You say, well, a square peg can't fit in a round hole. And I say, if God says it can, then it will. If God says it can, it will. If God wants to use 12 classless rejects to turn the whole world upside down, guess what? He will. He will. And you say to yourself, I'm afraid of failing, I'm unable, I'm incompatible, I'm incompetent. I, 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 there's, there's nothing in me that could possibly be fit for what you've got for me now. And God says, well, I'm getting it done. I'm getting it done. And you can resist me, and in and and, and, and faithlessness, you can turn back but I'm going to fit someone for this job because it's going to get done. So why do people like Moses resist his will when they can be just like the Apostle Paul? In 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against this day. I am persuaded that anything that I have faith for, God can and will accomplish. The only thing that can hinder God's plan for your life is a failure to agree with Him in obedience. You don't have to be sure. You can be needy. You can be whiny a little bit. Okay, okay. He can put up with all that crap. But if you say yes in faith and you obey Him, you're in trouble because he's gonna wreck your whole world and it'll be the greatest thing you've ever done. And you will be used to do things you never thought were possible and you will become a person who is, who is hopefully humble, but mighty, a mighty warrior, a leader of people, a guide in the desert, A father, a father, a mother to people. You can, you'll be able to nurse people to health. You will provide people with guidance that they need. You will go out into dark places with the glimmer of God's word, and you will take people by the hand and you will draw them into a safe place. You will be a soldier of the living God. But you have to say yes when, he's, when he calls your name. Because if you resist, you will miss out on the greatest gift that you've been given outside of your salvation, and that is to know that God wants to and will use you. We have got a world to win. We're not doing all this stuff to be, to be like the other Christians. Like God knows that we could have way more people here By doing way less work. (laughs) Like if we just got the right lights in our church, the right music, the right food, we could get a lot more people a lot quicker, it'd be a lot easier. We are doing hard work over here. We're going out and we're evangelizing and we're discipling and we're taking our time and we're pouring our lives into people and we're doing the slow but hard work. Why? Because we're building something That God's asked us to build. God didn't tell Noah, hey, build the ark, and here are the qualifications. Here are the things that I want you to build. And then he went out there and built a motorboat. (laughs) He's like, isn't this cool? (laughs) He said, build the ark, and here's exactly what I want you to build. This is what it looks like when it's working right. And he is asking us, here's what I want you to build. It's going to be hard. It's going to be slow. I'm going to ask you to do things you've never done before. You're going to swing a hammer. You ever swung a hammer before? You're going to do that. You're going to lift hard and heavy things. You're going to move around. You're going to be mobile. You're going to be sweating, and it's going to be difficult. That's what he's asking of you. So Have faith. Because whatever you've got planned, not as good. It's just not as good. It just doesn't hold up. We've got to face. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at c-a-y-a